Well, aren't you glad this morning that the mercy of God is more? I love that hymn that we sang, and I think it's so fitting that we would sing it uh, from time to time as we've been making our way through this wonderful little book of Jonah. Because as we have discovered, making our way through Jonah, the book of Jonah is 48 verses filled with the relentless, scandalous mercy of God. Uh, You see as you go through the book, God's relentless grace. And you taste that scandalous mercy. And by the time you get to the end of the book, you discover that God is sovereign over His mercy. That He is going to extend that mercy to whomever He wants to extend it, whenever and however He does it. And sometimes when that mercy is directed our way, it is a great cause for thanksgiving. It is a great cause for celebration. And if you've ever needed mercy, if you've ever found yourself where you've come before the Lord and you know that He knows and you're in agreement that what He knows merits judgment, and you get mercy, it's a stunning thing, isn't it? Our hearts just are immediately filled with gratitude to God. We thank God profusely. God, thank You so much for Your mercy. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your kindness. Thank You for Your relentless pursuit of my heart. And our hearts really do overflow with the immensity of the mercy that we have tasted. And I suspect there's not a one of us in this room who have not found ourselves there. There's not a one of us singing a hymn like we just sung that that our hearts don't in in some way or another uh, find ourselves filled with thanksgiving to the Lord for His mercy. So how do you explain what's going on in Jonah's heart? Because when we find Jonah in chapter 4, he is not celebrating mercy at all. In fact, the mercy that he has observed in chapter 3, has become so offensive to him that he has been scandalized toward God. And so how do we go about understanding what is happening in the book of Jonah? We've discovered already that God intends to do a work through us. We noted that Jonah is writing the book many, many years after the events of the book took place. And I shared that with you at the very beginning of our series. That's my opinion as to how we got the book of Jonah. And obviously, you're not obligated to my opinion, and there are other options out there, but that one is the one that makes the most sense to me. That Jonah is looking back on this period in his life, and there are things, profound things, that God taught him about himself, about the work of God, about the will of God, about the heart of God. And now Jonah has put together this book very artfully, very skillfully. We've noted the beauty of the book. We've noted how how Jonah writes in such a way that almost every paragraph catches our attention. It draws us into the story. And so he's looking back on these events, and it's like Jonah draws us in, and he says, I want you to come near as I tell you my story. Because as I tell you my story, I've put things in the story that you need. I've put things in the story that God had to teach me, 
And as you observe God teaching me, I want God to be able to teach you. And so if Jonah were standing here, he would say, this is what I intend for the book to do. This is why I wrote the book. I want the book to impact your senses. I want you to be scandalized like I was. I want you to understand why I was on that hill. I want you to understand why I ran from God. It wasn't because I was afraid of the Ninevites. That's not why I ran. There was a much bigger reason. There was a much deeper reason. And I'm going to show you that reason, Jonah says. And the reason that you need to know that reason is because oftentimes that reason is in your heart and it's why you run from God. Jonah says, I, I want to impact your senses. And, and then Jonah says, I want to stir your conscience. I've written the story in such a way that you actually have a front row seat on the boat. Then you have a front row seat as I am in the belly of that great fish. You have a front row seat as I land back on the shores of Joppa. You walk with me up to Jerusalem You stand there while I pay my vows in the temple, and then we journey together to Nineveh, and you get a front row seat to see what's going on there. And you're going to join me in chapter 4 on a hill, and you're going to understand the heart of a prodigal prophet. Because it's your heart. And so I wrote the book not just to get your attention and impact your senses, but to stir your conscience and move your heart. Jonah would say to us, you know, as you read my story, don't miss the speeches of God. God is going to ask me three powerful questions. And those questions come at the end of my story. And they were the secret to how God exposed my heart to me. And these are the questions that are going to impact your own heart. They're going to stir your conscience. And Jonah says, and the outcome of all of this is that your will would be conformed to God's. Now that's a very powerful story, isn't it? That we've been reading. Jonah has been surprisingly quiet on the journey. In chapter 1, God gives him this incredible mandate. And we observed that Jonah rose up in obedience to the Lord. At least that's what we thought. And then immediately he goes... 1,500 miles in the other direction to the port city of Joppa where he boards a ship and then takes a 1,500 mile or what he thought would be a 1,500 mile journey to uh, Tarshish, which was the Timbuktu of his day. And all the while, we are reading the story and Jonah is telling us what's going on in his heart. I'm not talking to God. I don't want to be around God. I am done with this prophet business. I am fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And what we came to understand was Jonah was actually renouncing his place in the covenant nation. And he was going to remove himself as far away as he could from anything that would remind him of the ministry that he had had before the Lord. But God had other plans, didn't he? And God began to relentlessly pursue, out of a heart of grace, this prodigal prophet. And we traced his steps as he went down to Joppa. And then he went down into the ship. And then he went 
down into the hold of the ship. And God brought about a great tempest on the sea. And the sailors, these pagan sailors, uh, began to frantically pray because this was a storm clearly that they had never experienced before. And these were seasoned sailors. They had much experience on the open sea, way past the Mediterranean. And for them to respond this way would indicate to you that this storm was of no natural origin. And they began to say, now how in the world are we going to find out? And uh, while they're up there frantically praying, the captain goes down below and he wakes up Jonah and he says to Jonah, you need to pray to your God because maybe your God will have a care for us. By the way, that's exactly what the king of Nineveh said, isn't it? In chapter 3, maybe it might be that the Lord would relent of the great disaster that he said he would do to us. And you know the story, Jonah comes up on top of the deck and as he stands on the deck, somebody gets the bright idea to break out the lots. And the minute those lots came out, Jonah just, you can almost imagine it in his heart, he's like, oh no, the lots of all things. Because it was the one way in Israel that God permitted outside of going to the high priest to seek God's direction or to have God reveal something, it was the one way that God permitted His people to discover His will. And Jonah knew the minute the lots came out, the game was up. And sure enough, those lots pointed out that he was the one, he was the reason for the storm. And so the sailors say to him, tell us who you are and tell us what you've done. And in chapter, two, in chapter 1, verse 9, you have the first great confession. The first theological confession in the book. Jonah says, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. And he uses the word Yahweh there, which is the name that God was known uh, by for his covenant people. I serve Yahweh, and he happens to be, and here's the theological creed, he is the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. And those men were incredibly interested in dry land at that moment. And here is someone who has a relationship to the God who made that sea who can get them to dry land. And so immediately they began to beseech this God. And you know the story. We got to the end of the book, or at the end of that chapter, and Jonah is standing on the deck, and he has a choice. He can repent, or he can perish. And he was so frustrated at God for sending him to people that he believed did not merit what God was about to give him, that he chose to perish rather than to repent. And it's like Jonah steps back from all of that and he kind of looks at us. He says, can you believe I did that? I mean, can you believe? Here I am on the deck. I'm almost embarrassed to write it to you. But here I am on the deck and instead of repenting, I am so arrogant. I am so filled with spiritual pride and self-justification and self-righteousness. I am so convinced that I am in the right and God is in the wrong that when I had an opportunity to repent, I chose to perish. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been so frustrated with God? So upset at something that God allowed or something that God permitted that you actually got to Jonah's spot? 
Well, we find Jonah in chapter 2 at the bottom of an ocean, and we have the first great prayer in the book. Jonah prays. And he has decided on the way down that perishing was not such a good option after all. And so, as we noted in the prayer, he began to cry out to God, and God extended to this stubborn prodigal prophet an amazing mercy. He had prepared a fish who came and swallowed Jonah and delivered Jonah. And by the end of chapter 2 in the prayer, Jonah puts an incredible statement out, and he says this, I know this, salvation, deliverance, belongs to God. And that's how we got Jonah back to Joppa and then up to the temple to pay his vows to God. And then on 500 miles uh, to to Nineveh where he shows up in chapter 3. And as he goes into the city, he opens his mouth and preaches a five-word message. And shockingly, the entire city responds. Starting with the poorest moving its way throughout the people of the city. Finally, the word that Jonah preached, the message, reached the ear to the king, and the king got off his throne, took off his robes, humbled himself, he sat in ashes, and he issued a national proclamation. Now we noted, (coughs) pardon me, we noted as we were discussing chapter 3 in our time together with Jonah, Jonah helped us to understand that at that time, Nineveh was one of the capital cities of Assyria. And the king of Nineveh was actually the king of the nation. And so what we have here is not just a city repenting, it's an entire nation that is being impacted by this word that reached the ear of the king. And when God saw what they did, He relented. Just like He would say later to Jeremiah, when I say something about a nation, if the nation changes its behavior, then I will relent. And that's exactly what we see here in chapter 3. Well, um, Jonah is obviously not happy about this. This is not what he anticipated. And so as he looks at what is going on, he removes himself from the city, and we find Jonah sitting on a hill outside the city, And there he sits, waiting out the 40 days. Now think about this. Jonah went into the city. He was supposed to preach for three days. He preaches for one day. That's all he's going to do. After one day, and after a brief message, the entire city repents. They pray. They do exactly what Abraham did in Genesis chapter 12, and in Genesis chapter 15, and in Genesis chapter 22, they believed in God, and it was counted to them for righteousness. So here are a group of people who did exactly what God was hoping they would do. They turned from their idols to worship and serve the living God. That's what Abraham did. That's what God wanted Israel to do. He wanted them to turn from their fascination with idols to worship God. This is what's going to happen later when the Apostle Paul shows up in the New Testament and comes to the city of Thessalonica. He opens his mouth. He preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they turn from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for the coming 
of his son from heaven. This is a stunning thing. And Jonah is absolutely furious. And so there he sits, hoping against hope that all of this repentance that so pleases God will eventually evaporate like the heat of the day. That, that maybe this was just a ploy. Maybe they just got afraid. Maybe all of the things that were going on nationally and the things that had gone on cosmologically, the, the earthquake and, and the eclipse that had happened around that time, maybe that's what really motivated them. And, and, they, and they repented, and this is just going to go away, and they're going to go right back to their old ways, and then God's going to have to do what I think He should have done anyway. God's going to have to judge them. And so Jonah is sitting on that hill waiting for the 40 days to finish, hoping against hope that these people would get wrath instead of mercy. How in the world does a prophet of God get there? And Jonah says, well, I'm going to tell you how I got there. And the reason I want to tell you I got there is because it's the same way that you get there. You're going to get to that same hill if you don't allow God to do in your heart what He had to do in mine. God had to help me see not just what was going on in Nineveh, but what was going on in me. And so this morning, as Jonah talks us through these first five verses of chapter 4, what is it that led him to that hill? And more importantly, how do we avoid joining him there? And Jonah said, well, the first thing I want you to notice is that my heart was filled with something. As I observed the work of God, and I saw the decisions God was making, my heart was filled with a burning anger. Look at verse 1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Jonah would say to us, I had very definite feelings. I had very definite ideas about what God should have done to those people in Nineveh. In fact, I had very definite ideas about God's mercy and who should get it and who shouldn't and when and how. And at the top of the list of people in my book as a prophet who understood the Torah of God and and preached the Word of God, I spent my whole life in service to God, and at the very top of my list of people who did not merit mercy were these Assyrians. These people were actually worthy of God's fiercest wrath and most severe judgment. I mean, come on, this is a nation of world-class idolaters. I mean, everybody knows these people are known for their fierce cruelty. And my people, Israel, have tasted what that oppression looks like. These people have been coming in to the land of God's presence. Remember that land of presence that I was running away from? Well, these people have been coming into that land and they had been oppressing God's people and they had been taking tribute from God's people. And so if you want to know what these people deserve in Nineveh, they deserve wrath. And that's what I thought God was going to tell me when when God first talked to me back in Jonah chapter 1, in in, in the very first part of the book. When God came to me and said, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh 
for their great wickedness has come up against me. I was like, great, it's about time. And then I started thinking. And I began to realize something. And then I began to suspect something. And then I began to understand that I was going to Nineveh for the opposite reason than what I wanted. And I was filled with wrath. And sure enough, when I got there and uh, I saw what happened, I was displeased. Notice how he talks about this anger in in verse 1. It displeased Jonah. The word displeased there is actually evil. It was a great evil. Jonah looked at what God did, and this is what he saw. This is how he evaluated it. When he looked at what God did, he evaluated it, and he said this, it is a great evil. The thing that God did is a great disaster. It is a great evil. When God looked at what He had done in Genesis 1 and 2, He tells us how He evaluated it. When He finished the first created day, the second created day, and so forth, He looked at what He had done and He saw that it was what? Good. And when God looked at what He did at Nineveh, He saw that it was good. But when Jonah looked at what God did at Nineveh, Jonah said, it is a great evil. Let me ask you a question. Has God ever done something in His sovereign pleasure that seemed to you to be a great evil? Has God ever made a decision in His sovereign wise plan that that caused you to step back and say, I can't believe that God would do that. Surely you didn't mean to do that. I know you're omniscient, but this one slipped by you. I know that you're wise, but I'm just telling you, this is absolutely foolish. Have you ever had those kind of conversations with God about things? God allowed something into your life. God did something or God extended mercy to somebody and you shake your head and you're going, I just, I can't believe this. And the more you think about it and the more you look at it and the more you turn it over in your mind, the greater the evil it is in your mind. And Jonah says, I want you to know, I'm ashamed to tell you this, but as I looked at what God did in Nineveh, this incredible act of mercy, the greatest revival in the Old Testament, there isn't a greater revival in your Bible than this one. Jonah said, I want you to know, as I looked at all of that, I made a decision about it, I evaluated it, and I saw that it was evil. And it wasn't just evil, it was a great evil. You know what the Bible says in Luke 15? The heavens rejoice and celebrate when one sinner is converted. Isn't that right? Two times in Luke 15, the heavens rejoice, the angels celebrate when a sinner who was lost is found. Here is an entire city of people that have repented and did what Abraham did. They, they have done what Abraham did. And all of heaven is rejoicing. All of Nineveh is celebrating and there is a prophet sitting on a hill outside the city and he's burning with anger. Jonah said, are you catching the true state of my heart? You know, as God's prophet, I'm supposed to think 
God's thoughts after him. I'm supposed to be the agent of his word, and I'm supposed to help facilitate his will. And when God's will is accomplished, I should celebrate. But here I am on the hill, and I'm burning with anger. This is a great evil, and it has produced a great anger. And Jonah would say to us this morning, be careful when you find yourself on that hill and you look at something that God did that you wish He hadn't done and you decide that God's action is a great evil to you and, and it burns, it, the anger begins to burn in your heart. And so Jonah says, this is where it started for me. I looked at what God did and I evaluated it and I decided that it was a great evil. And then Jonah said, I didn't stop there. I actually opened up my mouth and I made a complaint to the Lord. And that was a biblical complaint. I'm not dumb. I'm a prophet. I know how to talk to God. I know how to, how to couch theology in my, in my talk to God. And so I'm, I'm going to talk to God and I'm going to talk to God straight and I'm going to try to put Him straight and I'm going to use the things He told us as evidence that what he did was actually evil. You ever tried to do that with God? Like, God, you know, what you did here isn't right, and the reason it isn't right because you said this and this over here, and here are four verses that say this, and here are, here's a whole chapter about it, and you seem to have done something without even considering any of that. And so Jonah has a biblical complaint that he brings up to the Lord in verse 2. Notice what he says. He prayed to the Lord. Now this is the second prayer, right? You have a prayer in chapter 2. This is the second prayer in the book. In chapter 2, Jonah is thankful for mercy. In chapter 4, he is burning with anger over the mercy that God has shown. He prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, uses God's covenant name again, Yahweh. Which tells you what he's thinking. He's thinking about God having obligations to his covenant, obligations to his people, and he says, God, this is, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? Didn't we talk about this? This is exactly what I told you you were going to do, and you did it. And in order to forestall it, here's what I did. I made haste to flee to Tarsus. And the reason I did all of that, because I knew something about you. And he's going to give the second greatest creed in the book. He's going to give a second great creed. Remember the first creed in chapter 1, verse 9? Well, here in verse 2, you have the other creed. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from danger. You know, Jonah used accurate theology here. This is at the core of Israel's understanding of God. This is what God told Moses about himself when Moses was at the top of the mountain and he said, God, I just want to know you. I want to see you like you really are. I want to know your name. I want to know your character. And God says, well, let me tell you, the Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, 
Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. But there's more. Verse 8. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head and worshipped. Jonah says, I have a biblical complaint. I knew that you were going to act on your mercy. Because you told us that this was what you were like. And I have no problem with you doing that part because that's what you should be doing to the people that you made that covenant with. But these people don't have a covenant with you. These people are not in that kind of a relationship with you. So I don't understand why you keep bringing judgment on the people that you made a promise to and you gave mercy to a people that have no relationship with you. You made no covenant with these people. You have no relationship with you. They have no relationship back to you. They weren't looking for you. They weren't even thinking about you. And you sent me there to show them mercy. And you've been sending me to Israel to send Warnings about your coming judgment. How does that work? This is, this is at the heart of Jonah's complaint. It is a partial theology that leads to a deformed view of God. Is God a God of mercy? And the answer is what? Yes. Is He a God of judgment? And the, and the answer to that is also what? Yes. And so here is Jonah and he cannot figure out how in the world God's mercy and God's judgment got so messed up. The people who should be getting mercy are about to get judgment and the people who should be getting judgment just got mercy. And Jonah says, I I just want to remind you, God, that you have some obligations. And what you have done here does not at all seem to line up with your obligations. And I know because I'm your prophet, this part of who you are, the fact that you're merciful and the fact that you are just and righteous are the core of my ministry as your prophet. In fact, the only reason I can preach to your people is because of those two things your mercy, and your justice. And I'm having a real hard time understanding how you can be just when you've been merciful over here. This makes no sense to me. Let me ask you a question. Or Jonah. Let's say Jonah asks the question. Has God ever done something to you that turns your theology upside down? Lord, I cannot figure this out. I mean, here I am and I have served you, and I am part of your people. I belong to your church. I have been living for you, and you did this, and it had this impact to me. And here are people over here who don't know you, who don't have a relationship with you, and you've done this for them. Jonah says, you want to know where my burning anger came from? It was rooted in my understanding of theology. Jonah is not operating... Without theology, it is his theology 
that has landed him there on the side of that hill. And sometimes the things that you believe about God and sometimes the convictions that you have about how God should be and what God should do puts you on the same hill. Which brings us to the third thing that you see here. And Jonah says, now, you won't believe what I did next. I was sitting on that hill, burning in anger. I opened up my mouth and I challenged God. I, I laid out my biblical complaint and then I gave God an ultimatum. I issued a bold challenge. And the challenge is in verse 3. Therefore, now, O Yahweh, <coughs> based on the theology I've just uttered to you, based on your covenant obligations to Israel that you seem to have violated, because you and I both know what these Ninevites are going to do in the next generation. You and I both know that they are going to come and they're going to destroy the covenant nation that you have a relationship with. And if you don't have a problem with that, I do. God, if you can't see how wrong that is, then I don't know what to say to you. And so the only thing I know to do is to try to force your hand to change your mind. You say, well, how in the world did Jonah do that? Well, notice what he says. Oh, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, this is the second time Jonah has looked at God and he has said to God, I would rather die than do your will. Here he's saying, I would rather die than participate in something that is so morally and ethically and spiritually and theologically offensive that you would show mercy to the very nation that is going to come and destroy the people you have made covenant promises to. I can't reconcile that. And so, Jonah takes a play right out of the playbook that Moses wrote many centuries earlier. And there are some radical differences, obviously, but the play is the same. Remember when God said to Moses, Moses, I'm going to destroy these people for their idolatry. They are down there worshiping around that golden calf. Their evil has come up before me. Stand aside. I am going to destroy them. And Moses intercedes for them for 40 days. And he begs God to spare them. And then he comes to the end of all of that and he says to God, now God, if you choose not to spare them, don't spare me. If you choose to obliterate your people, which is your right to do as God, if you choose to do that, then I want you to blot my name out. Jonah's taking that same look. He's saying, God... If you are going to have mercy on these people who are going to destroy your people, then I want you to destroy me. And in Jonah's mind, surely God would do for this prophet what He did for that prophet. Because when Moses the prophet stood before God and said those very same words, God relented and spared the nation. And here is Jonah looking at God, saying, God, I want you to spare Israel by judging this nation. And so I want you to bring judgment. I want you to change your mind. And if you don't change your mind, then I want you to blot me out. And he had no idea how offensive 
all of this was to God. Now, you know, at this point in the story, Jonah would stop the action and he would say, now think about what you've been reading. Think about what I've been telling you. This is the second time I've had the audacity to challenge God. This is the second time I've stood before God and I've said to Him, either do it my way or take my life. Jonah would say to us, do you see the spiritual arrogance of that? Do you, do you see the self-righteousness of that? Do you see how far my heart was from God's? I stood on that deck and refused to repent. Here I am sitting on the hill and I'm struggling to repent because I think I know better than God. I am wiser than God. And I know we would never say it like that. We, we honestly wouldn't. But that's exactly how we feel sometimes. In the private chamber of our own room or in our own heart. And so God is not about to leave His prophet there on that hill any more than He was about to let His prophet perish at the bottom of an ocean. And so what did God do? He pursues Jonah with benevolent grace. And the benevolent grace shows up in a question. God looks at Jonah and says to him, do you do well to be angry? I mean, God says to, the, to Jonah this, Jonah, are you in the right? I mean, you've been pretty clear that you think I'm in the wrong. Let me ask you, are you in the right? You've looked at my decision to spare the city of Nineveh, and you've decided that it is a great evil. Let me ask you a question. Is the anger that has come up in you because of that great evil, is the anger in you evil? Do you do well to be this angry? What a penetrating question. It's the first of three questions. And Jonah would say to us that every one of those questions was a way for God to begin to stir my conscience. You know, questions have a way of arousing our conscience. Accusations have a way of hardening our will. I mean, think of what God could have said to Jonah. God could have said, listen, you are a stubborn, rebellious, hard-hearted, self-righteous, theologically deficient, spiritually arrogant prophet. And this is the second time. And we would have all gone, whoa. Jonah, you have your little booth there. I'm actually going on the other side of the hill because I don't want to be around when God responds to what we just saw. But God didn't do that. You know what God did? He reached down into the very heart of Jonah and He said, Jonah, I want to ask you a question. Is what you're doing, is what you're feeling, right? And you and I both know the answer to that, don't we? We both know that it's not. You know what God is doing? God is opening up Jonah's heart to Jonah. And what Jonah is seeing in his heart is actually a great evil, and he is actually in as much need of mercy as the people that he was angry over whom God had given that mercy to. He needed the same mercy. We saw it back in 
uh, in uh, chapter 2. When he was at the bottom of the ocean and he finally realized, Lord, your mercy belongs to you and your deliverance comes from you. You own mercy and you own deliverance. And here he is again having the same issue with God. You may own it, but I don't like it. And I think it is wrong. Now, in fairness to Jonah, Jonah actually was operating off of theology that he felt really strongly about. Lord, the people who deserve the mercy are the ones you made a covenant with. And I have no problem if a Gentile or two, a pagan or two, wants to get saved and wants to believe in you and get mercy, no problem. If these sailors want to get, you know, want to get right with you and you want to show mercy, I have no issue with that. I have no issue with a Gentile getting right with you as long as they become a part of the covenant people. They, they have to figure out how they're going to become a part of the covenant people. They're going to have to embrace Moses. They're going to have to do the dietary laws. They're going to have to do circumcision. But I have no problem if you want to save a Gentile or two along the way. What I have a big problem with is when you take an entire pagan Gentile nation and give them the mercy that you should be giving to your own people. Jonah would say, you know, every time I preach mercy, the people get judgment. And every time I preach judgment, the people get mercy. And when Jonah would hear mercy triumphs over judgment, he would shake his head and say, no, mercy annihilated judgment. There is no justice in this mercy. And that brings us really to the very heart of the book, and that is the bitter silence that Jonah responded with. Notice verse 5, and Jonah went out of the city. And he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there, and he sat under the shade until he could see what would become of the city. Jonah would say to us, listen, take a look at what I did. I mean, here, God is reaching out to me. God is probing my heart. God is helping me to see that what I'm doing is not right. God is trying to help me to come to the place where I can get the very same mercy that I'm ticked that the Ninevites got. And the reason I need that mercy is because the same evil that was in them is in me. But I didn't see it. And I was so angry and I was so set in my opinion that what God had done was wrong. That there was no possible way He should have ever done this that I went out and I sat on, uh, on the hillside and I built a little booth and, uh, and I waited, hoping against hope that God would value me more than He valued them. Surely, He would value His own people. Surely, He would value His prophet more than He would value them. And so I was waiting for God to change His mind. And that's where we're going to leave Jonah today. Jonah says, now there's more. There's much more. God is not nearly done. But as we leave Jonah on that hill, how many of us would say, I've got a chair right next to Jonah's? Because of something that God did that I just can't reconcile. Pastor Sam, you have no idea. I have no problem 
with, a, with these people getting mercy or those people getting mercy on Wednesday night, we're going to have the renewal choir come and it is going to be a celebration in our midst of the incredible grace of God, the transforming power of the Gospel of God, and the beauty of the mercy of God to take people whose lives have been destroyed by sin. And on Wednesday night, we're going to hear that, we're going to see that, we're going to celebrate that. Jonah says, I have no problem with that kind of mercy. That kind of mercy, 100%. The kind of mercy I have a problem with is the kind of mercy that comes to somebody who has destroyed my life. Somebody who has done something so devastating to me that I'm still trying to dig myself out of it. And God, I don't understand how you didn't judge that. I mean, I read the Scriptures and I can see that what they did wasn't just a mistake. It was wicked. It was sinful. It was evil. And you gave them mercy. And I am still trying to dig out of the mess. So Jonah, you got any room in your booth? Because I'm coming over. Because I am convinced. Now, somebody asked me, you know, well, praise God, they got mercy. I love mercy. They love mercy. Da-da-da-da-da. But I'm sitting in the booth, and my heart is internally burning with anger because God did something that I just can't agree with. God, do you have any idea? Well, of course you do, you're omniscient. But do you have any idea? Can I just say it? Do you have any idea of how deeply this wound is and what it has done to my kids and what it has done to me or the people that I love? And you're just going to show mercy? I mean, these Ninevites, all they did, they heard one little sermon, they, they got on their knees and prayed one little prayer, and they got all the mercy. And I've been on my knees begging you and begging you and begging you, and there is no mercy. There's no relief. And I can't reconcile this. I don't understand this. Jonah says, come on over. Get in the booth and wait. Because there's something good coming. So I want to ask you this morning as we pray, the first thing that has to happen for this mercy to reach you is you have to get honest. I have to get honest about my need for it. Jonah had to really understand that he needed the mercy he was preaching as much as the people he was preaching to needed that mercy. And you may be there. Your relationship to God may have grown silent, and it may have been silent for a long time. You may have thrown up your hands like Jonah did and just said, fine, if this is how it's going to be, if you're going to act that way, God, and those are the kind of decisions you're going to make when you and I both know what you've said over here, then I don't know. I don't know what to do anymore. I'm just going to put my head down and I'm just going to go through life and maybe when I get in your presence, I'll figure it out and we'll understand how it all works. But until then, I'm just going to put my head down and, and we're just going to go through. I'll be at church when I'm supposed to be at church. I'll do the things I'm supposed to do. I'm going to stay away from the sins I'm supposed to stay away from. But, but you and I, in terms of any meaningful relationship, we're done. You say, well, do people do that? All the time. All the time. 
And the truth is, there might be some of us here this morning who are there right now. And Jonah would say to you, listen, come and sit with me in the booth. Would you take that step? Jonah says, would you take that one step? Would you admit, I need to be in that booth with you, Jonah, because that's how I feel? And would you start a conversation with God about it? God, I don't understand this. It makes no sense to me. This isn't right. This isn't fair. Fine. Talk to God. Start the conversation. Even if it starts that way, start the conversation. And while you're talking to God, beware. Be aware, not beware. Be aware that God is drawing you. He's the one saying, come over to the booth. Take your seat. Go ahead and express what you're thinking and what you're feeling because I already know it. Let's start talking. Because if you will start the conversation, then maybe I will be able to talk back to you. And that's where we're going to get in the last half of the chapter. So there's really good things coming next Sunday, and I hope that you're looking forward to that. But as, as we come to the end of this, would you take that one step? Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes this morning? And I want to give you just a minute to listen to Jonah. Because Jonah would say to you, I know exactly how it feels. I know what it's like to sit there and wonder what in the world God is doing. I, I know, I understand the depth of the struggle. I mean, it was so deep for me, I stood on the deck of a ship and chose to perish. It was so deep for me that I went on a hill and I was ready to die. But the grace of God would not let me go. And the grace of God won't let you go. But it starts with you taking a step and joining me on the hill, acknowledging that this is really where you are. We will never get where we need to be until we start acknowledging where we are. We will never experience the unadulterated joy that comes when we get mercy from God until we realize that we need that mercy ourselves. And so would you just talk to God while I talk to God? Lord, here we are, your people, sitting together in gathered worship, listening to your word delivered to us through the mouth of a very faithful prophet who experienced what many of us are experiencing in our own lives in some way. So Lord, would you do the work in our heart that you did in Jonah's? Lord, would you help us to grasp that question? Are we doing right in how we feel and in how we respond? And Lord, if the answer to that question is no, then Lord, would you begin to do the work in our heart? that you did in Jonas. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.